This episode is brought to you by Haymakers Community Engagement Consultants. If you run a business or nonprofit working to make the world a better place, then visit wemakehay.com to see how Haymakers can help. This episode is also sponsored by RuralOrganizing.org. RuralOrganizing.org has been equipping and empowering rural changemakers since 2012. Visit RuralOrganizing.org for more information. I don't think the Democratic Party needs to decide between attempting to maintain or rebuild the Obama coalition by using identity politics and by going after, you know, rural white male voters like me. I think you could I think you can run, you know, there's two Union Pacific train lines running through Carroll and I think you could run two strategies through at the same time. So I I think the party is smart to, you know, uh, you know, continue to, to, to build on that Obama coalition. Iowa Congressman Steve King in many ways has become the face of rural American politics. He often attracts the national spotlight through his racist and immigrant rhetoric and rants against a multicultural America. On today's episode, we speak with Douglas Burns, a fourth-generation Iowa journalist and co-owner of a number of influential local papers across King's district, including the Carroll Daily Times-Herald in Carroll, Iowa. We discuss how King's constituents have largely embraced the changing demographics in their district and how progressives can win again in small towns like Carroll. I'm Matt Hildreth, and you're listening to Flyover Folk, exploring the progressive arts, culture, and politics of America's rural communities. Carol's not far from Storm Lake, where uh, Steve King, I think, was born, and it's not far from. He, I think he actually lives in Crawford County, right? Which, which is in your. He lives in he lives in Kyron, Kyron. and he lives in an area that would technically be in Sac County. Uh, but yeah, he lives in he's he lives close he lives close to Denison, which is where he went to high school. I think he has his 50 high, 50th high school reunion this uh, this year. So it'd be very interesting if in the Latino heavy uh, Denison high school, <laughs> if they would even, if they would even, I would bet they would, I would bet they wouldn't even want him to speak. That's hilarious. I mean, uh, think about it. I mean, you got a lot of people in there that, I mean, I guess, you know, he would, he would find out if his line about there would presumably be one valedictorian. So he would meet the valedictorian. I suppose he could look out at the audience and see if the, uh, you know, other 200 Latino kids have, uh, you know, calves the size of Camelot. <laughs> that is insane. So, yeah. If, so he, if he went to speak there, he, you know, I think he should, if they threw cantaloupes on the stage, I, <laughs> I, you know, he should, he should be man enough to take it, right? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, if you look it would, at it. Would, it would prove it right, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing that I think is so hard, like having, you know, when you actually live in in the community, you see how, I mean, especially that comment about other people's babies. That was so bizarre to me because if you look at some of those communities, uh, specifically where he's from, I mean, you mentioned Sac, Sac County in, in Iowa. Yeah. The population loss specifically in Sac County is pretty, well, pretty so, intense. Yeah, Matt. So here's the thing. On the day that Steve King is saying we can't do this with somebody else's baby, on that very goddamn day. I get a news release from Iowa Workforce Development from the Carroll Area Development Corporation saying that the unemployment rate in Carroll County is 2.7%. Our economic development director, a big Republican conservative uh, woman, Shannon Landauer, uh, said to me that, uh, uh, you know, uh, anybody that wants a job in Carroll County has one. Uh, we, we just don't have enough, uh, you know, and the, and the fact that we are available labor, uh, we're lacking it's it's stunting our growth. It's stalling our growth. And you know, look, I, I I grew up here in the '80s. I watched what happened during the farm crisis. I watched the subsequent brain drain. You know, most of my friends who are college educated 
and from here, don't live here. Uh, I, I, I'm watching all the development around Grimes as subdivision after subdivision helps, you know, Des Moines continue to sprawl. I see all that. I go down to Kansas City and, you know, run into plenty of people I know from Iowa. I go up to Minneapolis and do the same. These white kids over the last two decades have voted with their feet and moved. And this notion that we're somehow going to grab a bunch of high school yearbooks from the 90s and the early aughts and, and you know, last year or the year before and start circling pictures and go out and recruiting people that have left to come back, that's not going to happen. Meanwhile, we've got, you know, the Latino community that's a couple generations deep now uh, that came, you know, in the, in the, in the mid 80s. And in Denison, for example, half the downtown businesses, half the downtown businesses are Hispanic owned. In Storm Lake, there's a chamber of commerce. I've been to St. Rose of Lima Catholic Church in Denison. And, and I'm telling you, uh, the way that the, the, you don't ever see, you know, when you go into a grocery store or some other public setting now, you see these like white kids that are crying, sit in the aisles and they don't get the game they want. They're just kind of react. You never see a Latino kid act out in public because those parents are raising their kids the way it's my understanding, white families used to raise kids in the 50s, very church-oriented, family-oriented, school-oriented. Uh, and I, to, for the life of me, other than just outright racism, I, I don't understand why, you know, we're not embracing uh, – I'm embracing them, and I think a lot of other people are. But if Congressman King got his wish and, you know, we deported all the Latinos he thinks we should deport, it would shut down agriculture and it would – it would, it would devastate a lot of the retail economies uh, in this area of Western Iowa. Yeah, in its hometown. I mean, that's what I, that's what I don't get. I mean, and, and the other thing is, you know, in terms of rural revitalization, um, the folks that are moving to Northwest Iowa uh, are coming from rural communities in, in, in the countries that they're leaving. I mean, maybe not 100%, but, but by and large, like I know Sioux County yeah. a, a little bit better than I know Buena Vista and Sac and uh, Crawford down where you're at. But when you look there, I mean, you know, they're farmers. They like the small town way of life. They like, you know, those rural rhythms that you were talking about. Um, right. And, and you know, when, when, when my folks came over from uh, Luxembourg to Northwest Iowa, uh, to Remsen and some of those other towns, it was the same thing, you know? Like, well, why would they ever leave Luxembourg? I heard that's pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, now it is, right? I have no idea. But, uh, but anyway, so, um, yeah, so I just, I, that's one thing that I, I've always been struck by. And, and I think that that's one thing that I think for sure the, the, the political media has missed, right? Like they all know how to cover Steve King. Now he says something, you know, it kind of comes out on the blogs and then it sort of makes its way into comedy late night shows. Um, but what people have really missed is really the story of, of immigration to his specific hometown. I mean, the town where he went to high school and the town where he was born. Yeah. I mean, the last time I did a story was a few years ago, but there's a, a, a elementary school on 20th street, uh, just on the East side of Denison. And I think it's K through three or K through four, but I, I've been in that building and this is a few years ago, Matt, but it was 70% Latino. You know, that's, that's 70% Latino K through three, K through four. So uh, that's in Denison, and uh, you know, um, Denison's important for our economy over here in Carroll. We're in, uh, you know, the Western Iowa Advantage Economic Development Group together, uh, and uh, there's a lot of people from Denison who uh, who shop in Carroll and who work in Carroll. So, uh, you know, our our economy is very much tied to 
the economy in Denison. And when, you know, uh, things go well there, that's us too. Right. Yeah. And, and especially when you understand that, that the communities you just mentioned are sort of in a sea of, um, of population loss. You know, my folks or my dad grew up in Rockwell city and, and Calhoun County, which is just a neighbor to Buena Vista. And and they're really struggling with population loss. And it's not just, it's not just, you know, when you talk about the changing demographics, it's not just Latinos moving in. It's like you said, it's the, it's the, the white kids moving out or the older folks, you know, passing on. So we, one, one, one interesting thing during the, when you talk about white people moving away, one interesting thing that I really noticed uh, during the end of the, you know, in the fall of the 2016 election cycle, when things were getting really ugly on social media, and I was, you know, things were really ugly with the trolling underneath my columns and so forth. So I have a lot of college educated progressive fans who've been in politics or just been in business or, you know, uh, people you'd love to see back in, you know, entrepreneurs, people you'd love to see back in rural Iowa. But once they went to the University of Iowa uh, and then, you know, maybe worked in Seattle for a while or Kansas City, they developed a lot of networks and friends and even interracially dated. And so for them, a barrier to coming back, well, they might want to come back. Like I'm thinking of one person very specifically who grew up on Main Street in Carroll, Iowa, was valedictorian of her class and is is married to uh, a a man of uh, Middle Eastern descent. And they have a you know mixed race kid. I mean, you think she's gonna you think she's gonna move her family back here in this environment? So you're you're you know by by not embracing by not you know accepting uh, the diversity, we're we're not only closing the door on opportunities to interact more with Latinos or people from other countries, um, but we're closing the door on some of the you know the the kids, white kids with European ancestry that King wants back here. A lot of them won't come back here because of the, uh, uh, you know, there's, yeah, there aren't as many opportunities, but some of them don't even like coming back for holidays uh, because of some of the attitudes they've heard expressed by Congressman King and others. And I think they're wrong to sort of throw the lasso around all of us, but, you know, the national media does it and, and they do it. And, uh, but yeah, that was something I definitely noticed uh, that I, that I hadn't seen quite at that high high pitched of a level before. What is the national conversation about rural voters post Trump missing? Yeah, that's a that's a terrific question. And I you know, I think unless you live in, in rural America and you're sort of uh, you understand kind of the the pitch and pull and rhythm of life out here, you maybe you don't identify that. So, you know, most of the people that I interact with day to day certainly aren't racist. And, you know, if they had uh, encounters either in a business or personal or family uh, setting, uh, you know, uh, with uh, somebody who's African-American or Latino, I think that would be uh, they'd embrace the experience and it would be a very warm exchange. The reason Steve King's uh, I think it's unforgivable that he traffics in race. Uh, I had a conversation with him once in Santa Maria Winery uh, during a lunch here in Carroll where he was very upset with me for calling him a racist in print and asked me that I not do it again. And at the time, this was six or seven years ago, I said, Congressman, you know, uh, you're right. I really don't know what's in your heart. I don't know the motivation for why you're, you're saying something. You know, for example, if, if a, a lot of times people who are otherwise pretty progressive or liberal, if they're in a sort of an ugly traffic situation where they get cut off or they're in a car accident, uh, they may think or say something 
they may employ a racial slur or, or, or think something, you know, along those lines when they're in that like tense moment. I don't know that that necessarily means they're a racist. Uh, I suppose you could say empirically if somebody uses a, uh, a racial term, then by definition, they're a racist. But anyway, I, I, I did think it was fair for the congressman to say, you know, regardless of what he says or what he does, like, I don't really know his heart. So I, I, you know, at the time accepted that because at that point he was speaking in euphemisms about race and I didn't like it. But now I think he's he's, uh, you know, post Trump feels emboldened and uh, his, his dog whistle is in his glove compartment or in his trunk. And he's he's just, uh, you know, flat out using race. I think it's unforgivable. But uh, I think, Matt, that, you know, uh, a lot of people in rural America aren't responding necessarily to the racism. Uh, they're just tired of a string of Democrats coming out here uh, who, and, and their surrogates who are um, condescending, who come here with smug attitudes and don't understand rural America and sort of act like, you know, they're visiting the zoo or something. And we're these interesting creatures that they uh, sort of observe for a while and then go back and, uh, you know, talk to their friends in Brooklyn or, you know, larger cities. And so given the choice between, uh, an urban Democrat who comes in here and doesn't understand us at all condescends to us and somebody who is undoubtedly rural as Congressman King is and, and, and lives here, understands the rhythms of our life, of our lives, uh, but happens to be racist. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of people are, are, you know, willing to overlook the racism. They're not voting for him because of the racism. They, they overlook it. I don't think it's forgivable. Uh, and I think, People have allowed him to cross red lines that are unacceptable, but I understand why they're doing it. And I think the uh, King's opponents or people that disagree with what he does need to fight on, on different terrain rather than expecting a bunch of white people to be outraged uh, at things that are said about uh, groups of people they don't really know or interact with day to day. So, you know, going back to this idea of uh, kind of the urban Democrats, what, and the and the understanding the rhythm of 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 a, like a rural way of life. What do you think that most people get wrong most often? Uh, well, I, I I think they uh, are too dismissive of uh, the intelligence uh, in in rural Iowa. And, you know, keep keep in mind, rural Iowa is a lot different than rural Mississippi. So to sort of group all rural areas together, I mean, you know, we. This, the majority of, of my emphasis at our seven newspapers is education coverage. Uh, I stressed that at a meeting at the Greene County School Board uh, just last Wednesday night. So we, I dedicate and make, you know, dedicate a lot of resources and make education coverage a priority. Uh, so there, there are, we have terrific high schools here. Um, and those are sort of the center of the community. Well, not sort of, they are the center of the community. And while you might not have as high a concentration of college graduates, in many rural areas, you have a lot of people that are by nature very innovative because they grew up in a, in a sort of a farm, you know, uh, agricultural background where you have to be innovative and, and, and entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial. So, um, and, and very well read. Uh, our libraries, uh, I'm vice president of the library board here in Carroll, library foundation here in Carroll. And, and we have terrific usage of, of our, uh, of our libraries. So, I think people come in here and uh, are too dismissive of uh, 
you know, our educational level and ability to ask good questions and sort issues out. Yeah. You know, the, the comment about the high schools being the center of the community really, really kind of struck me. Um, just, just thinking, um, having lived outside of rural America as well. Uh, and the idea of having like a D one college basketball team down the street or a football team down the street, a lot of folks in rural communities, uh, the center of their civic life and, and their entertainment really does come from the high schools. Um, and yet, you know, I, I don't know many Democrats, uh, for, for political office or, you know, at this congressional or Senate level, uh, that would have a position on school consolidation, for example, or, you know, some of the issues that are specifically rural education issues. So I'm wondering, you know, if you were able to, to say what a platform should include, um, for like a rural progressive democratic platform, what would that look like? Boy, that's, that's a great question. And let me stress at the outset that I, I don't think the democratic party needs to decide between attempting to maintain or rebuild the Obama coalition by using identity politics and by going after, you know, rural white male voters like me. I think you could, I think you can run, you know, there's two union Pacific train lines running through Carroll and I think you could run two, two strategies through at the same time. So I, I think the party is smart to, you know, uh, you know, continue to, to, to build on that Obama coalition. But to your question of what kind of a platform uh, would work here, um, I, you know, I, I think the, the platform has to be based on uh, an economic message, uh, an infrastructure message. And it needs to leave out the it needs to be a, a big tented message where, you know, there still are pro-life uh, Democrats in, in in large parts of rural America. So I think some of the, the, the finger pointing of, you know, you if, if you haven't adapted to if you're if you don't widely embrace the use of transgender bathroom or if you maybe aren't as, you know, sort of experienced with people of different cultures that somehow you're just a rube and a hick. And we need to keep you outside of the tent. I think you have to, you know, first of all, shelve that condescending attitude. And, uh, you know, that's that's priority number one, because there's so many people that feel so culturally disconnected from the Democratic Party that in, in, until you solve that problem, they aren't going to listen to your plans on infrastructure and healthcare. care. Uh, in terms of those those issues, uh, I would you know, you, you identified one school consolidation. Uh, I've always marveled at how uh, two of the biggest economic development projects in the area we cover, Matt, uh, the construction of the Manning Regional Hospital here in Southern Carroll County, that was done. The, the construction was financed through a low interest U.S. Department of Agriculture loan. The expansion to our east of the Greene County Medical Center, that was done with a uh, low interest USDA loan. And the number one economic development issue right now in two or three of the counties that I cover, uh, Crawford, Carroll, and Green, uh, would be the four laning of Highway 30, which would would be the the biggest economic development boon and boost to our region uh, since we were founded near where the railroad tracks were back in the late 1800s. So uh, that's the platform you know I, I would run on, and uh, I would make it very uh, big tented on. Uh, on, on social issues. And then I would try to find some candidates who can pass the Rotary Club test 
people who would go into a, you know, a Rotary or Lions Club or Kiwanis or Optimus Club's meetings, meetings and, uh, you know, be able to just instinctively and naturally and genuinely uh, get along with folks. There's nothing worse than seeing somebody come from Des Moines or Chicago and try to have a, uh, a forced moment with uh, somebody in, in rural America. Yeah, I totally agree. So I, I just on the national stage, I wonder if there's anybody that sticks out to you that, that has done this. I mean, you've been covering probably the caucuses for several years and you've seen a lot of people come through. Uh, and I, I wonder who's done it the best. Well, I guess empirically you could say Barack Obama has done it the best because, uh, you know, I, I covered him. I interviewed him 10 times, twice as a, three times as a president and seven times as a, as a candidate. And I covered him in some of his early days here. And uh, I remember very distinctly and vividly seeing him at a, at a gym in Audubon, Iowa. I mean, this is a county now that goes heavily for Steve King. Uh, you know, it's represented by Republicans in the legislature. He filled up a school gymnasium there and he was asked about his marijuana use. And if he, you know, some guy thought he was kind of getting over with a little joke and asked, you know, uh, then Senator Obama, if he inhaled and Obama smiled. and He said, well, of course I inhaled. That was the point. And instantly they trusted him. And, and that, that, that gymnasium, I mean, he, he, he won over that, that full crowd. And uh, so he's, he's, you know, for anybody that wants to say we're we're racist out here in rural Iowa, I would point to uh, President Obama winning the the Iowa caucuses in my county handily here in Carroll County. We uh, were he, he had a message that resonated, and I think a lot of that stems from his own uh, you know maternal grandparents who grew up in Kansas. And you know, yeah, you you, you see an African American, but when I would hear Obama speak here, I was all you could you got the sense that you were hearing his grandmother. And his grandfather, you know, World War II generation folks. Uh, obviously, Obama's not going to seek office again. Um, you know, John Edwards and the two Americas had a had a great connectivity out here. You know, John Edwards for the Democrats. I mean, if you read the book The Candidate by Andrew Young, his former staffer, I mean, you know, Edwards comes across as kind of a, a sort of a repulsive figure behind the scenes, but in front of a crowd and connecting with uh, with with rural people. He was like some character out of a John Grisham novel. I mean, you 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 just couldn't you couldn't script it better. Sanders had good connectivity. Um, you know, I think that that you know because he represents. You know, we both know Vermont's rural. He comes. You know, Biden was. I think you know Biden just has a. We're a heavily blue collar area, and uh, so candidates that have a natural affinity for the blue collar voter, you know, will do well in. in you know, urban areas, uh, you know, and rural areas, both. I'm curious what your impression was of Hillary Clinton, especially, you know, as, as it pertains to her uh, rural uh, policy knowledge. Well, I had the, 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 the privilege of having the opportunity of interviewing uh, uh, Secretary Clinton for a half hour one-on-one at the home of uh, Dr. Steve Krause, who at the time was co-chair of the Carroll County Democratic Party. And a lot of people expected me to be asking her about, uh, you know, her email server, asking her about Benghazi, you know, asking her about her husband and a host of things like that. And, you know, those are things that the national media asks regularly. And, and that's, you know, uh, so I, I really focused on rural issues. 
And I asked her, for example, a question she said nobody had ever asked her, uh, which was uh, in terms of the composition of the Supreme Court, uh, a lot of people are focused on gender and racial balance. But right now, there's nobody from rural America on the U.S. Supreme Court. So as we have issues that involve land use and the environment and, and those type of things collide, uh, there's nobody who is from my part of the country, uh, you know, which is 20 percent of Americans, rural America. It's much bigger in land mass, but 20 percent of us are, are from rural America. And we're not represented on the Supreme Court. She had a terrific answer for that. And then in terms of economic development, she'd obviously learned a lot in upstate New York. And she had a really intriguing idea. And I had a number of people say that they thought this was intriguing of sort of taking the rural electric cooperative philosophy and applying that to other ventures, other industry uh, opportunities, other pursuits. And, you know, with no notes, she reeled off very detailed policy positions on those issues uh, and others in, in rural America. So uh, the notion that, you know, she's some, you know, city-fied girl from Chicago who, you know, uh, doesn't understand rural issues is just, is just not the case. But, but those type of issues you know, people didn't ask her about those when she was campaigning in Iowa. Clinton was, from a purely rural economic development standpoint, uh, she was as learned and as impressive as, frankly, the Iowa Department of Economic Development director on that issue. Do you think she was able to connect? I mean, I saw in Lyon County, uh, when, that's where I was caucusing, you know, which yeah. is a heavily Republican county. Um, she won. Except when it comes to gambling. Yeah. <laughs> Funny how that changes when a casino moves in. But um, but when uh, – she won the county, but it was by a vote. And I think actually I was caucusing for Martin O'Malley. And if I remember right, that uh, there was maybe one or two other people that had been caucusing for O'Malley. And if they would have went for uh, Sanders, it would have changed the outcome uh, on a few things. But, but, but it did seem to me that like – Hillary kind of had a lot of the old school Dems, um, but there was like the, the the people if they had never caucused before were almost undoubtedly for Bernie. Oh yeah, there's no doubt, no and, doubt. And I'm wondering why you know if she had the policy, what was what was missing? Well, I mean, when you know half the news that's out there online is according to 60 Minutes at Oxford University, when half of that news is fake, uh, and people believe that. The Comet Pizza Parlor in Washington, D.C. is a secret haven for a child sex abuse ring to the point where a guy even goes there and starts to shoot it up. I mean, you know, it's not we, we do have our our, high, our rural Internet connections might be slower, but we still have them. And people are reading those things. And, uh, you know, uh, in my opinion, people were focused on the election and our politics in general has become nationalized. And that's not good for rural America, because we should be focusing on a lot of bipartisan solutions and we should have good Democrats and Republicans representing us. And I, I didn't hear when I, I was at four or five Clinton events in, in rural Iowa, so multiple Sanders events. And I just didn't hear a lot of the questions I was hearing were nationalized questions. The concerns I was hearing, even inside the caucuses, were nationalized. And I, I think had been people been pressing and asking and thinking about, you know, rural health care, about rural economic development, 
about, you know, why don't we have somebody from rural America on the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court? Um, I think, I think, you know, education issues, school consolidation, those, those types of things. I mean, that's what we live and breathe and think about. And that's what affects our lives every day. And instead you've got people worried about not that Benghazi's not deserving of concern, but right. you know, let the national media handle that. And, right. and uh, we allow the election to get nationalized and, and that, that dilutes our power as rural Americans when we get co-opted into that. Yep. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk. I mean, uh, to, to get an hour or so of your time is is, uh, is is really amazing, just because I think you've, you've kind of seen it all. I've always enjoyed when we've met you. I'm glad to hear what you're doing right now. I'm Matt Hildreth, and you've been listening to Flyover Folk, brought to you today by Haymakers Community Engagement Consultants and RuralOrganizing.org. Our music today and every day comes from Brutal Bear, based out of Wichita, Kansas. For more information about them and this podcast, visit flyoverfolk.com.